Okay, welcome to session seven out of eight of Reading the Bible for Liberation, or How Not to Read the Bible Like a Jackass. We are nearing the end and trying to answer some longstanding questions that we, we've got left in our, in our notes. So this week, we're going to be talking about uh, tips and tricks and tools to do Bible study. Uh, so we hope this is super practical and helpful and uh, hopefully it answers questions you all actually have. And then next week, we will get into uh, contemplative methods of reading scripture and practice some of those. Uh, so what does it look like to read the Bible, not just for information, but for formation? And we will we will do that next week. Uh, so if you've got any burning questions left, uh, be sure to let us know because our time is running short. Uh, not to mention the warmer and the nicer the weather gets, um, the fewer people show up. So <laughs> we gotta, we, we gotta do it. Um, let's, uh, Tanada, you want to pray for us and then I'll lead us. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who sees and hears and knows and comes down. Thank you that you are content to dwell with your creation through your spirit. And Lord, that means that in some way that is difficult to understand, you are here with us now. And I just pray that as we talk, we would have a sense of the sacred infused through our conversation and infused through, uh, and it just overflowing in our heart. Please make our hearts good soil for all of the teaching of the day. Please make us aware that we are those who have been created in the image of God, who are loved, who are desired by you. Thank you for this time. May it be set apart in the best kind of way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Got some slides today. So session seven, tips and tricks, or maybe more appropriately just called tools, uh, Tanada said she wanted me to kind of take the lead on this one, but, um, you know, pastor, you can jump in or whenever you've got something that you also feel like is helpful. Uh, so let's talk about a bunch of different things. Basically, I wanted this to be a way to just talk about, you know, if, if you were to sit down and study the Bible, like, what do you need? What would you do? Um, just super practical. Uh, so the first thing to start with are Bible translations. Uh, what is, what's a good translation or translations, uh, to go to, what can you trust? What, what should you avoid? Um, so a couple just kind of rules of thumb is almost every modern translation. So Bible translations made after the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So 1950 and forward, um, are going to be basically trustworthy. All right. Um, if you can find them at like a Barnes and Noble, um, or like the top, uh, level results at Amazon, you're not going to be led so dramatically astray, uh, in your study. That said, um, you know, I, I have opinions and people do have opinions on what makes for a good Bible translation or not. Um, I tend to, and most of the translations that you're going to find are going to be what are called committee based translations. And they're committee-based, meaning it's not just like one dude or one gal just like sitting down and being like, let's do this from scratch. Uh, instead, you've got um, translation committees uh, 
that are making editorial decisions about what's the reading level going to be. So different Bible translations have aim for different, shoot for different uh, reading levels, 12th grade, 8th grade, 2nd grade, whatever. Um, what is the style going to be? Now, maybe sometimes you'll hear phrases tossed around like word for word or literal translations versus more like phrase for phrase or thought for thought. I personally think that whole dichotomy uh, is is bunk. Um, there's no such thing as a word for word translation of an ancient language. Um, you just, you can't do it. It's not possible. Every translation is a variety of thought to thought translations. Um, but they do make editorial decisions of like, how close do we want to be to the original idioms or similes or metaphors that uh, ancient language might use versus how much work do we want to do on behalf of the reader? Um, I might have used this in this class before, but one of my favorite examples is the, uh, the metaphor of God cursing a city with cleanness of teeth which sounds, you know, sounds great. Uh, no more toothpaste. Hooray. Uh, but cleanness of teeth is a metaphor for a famine, for not having any more food. Um, so a translation committee has to decide, are we going to, to translate cleanness of teeth word for word, or are we going to decide to translate that metaphor to, and God will kiss, curse this city with famine. So they make those sorts of decisions. Um, so, Translations that I use regularly are the NRSV, the or uh, the New Revised Standard Version, uh, and they actually just just updated that. I think uh, like my version's one edition behind, um, but there there are those get continually updated. New Revised Standard Version. This one's going to be pretty formal. Um, so it's aiming at a higher reading level. The language is a little bit more like you'd imagine reading it behind a pulpit in a traditional church, uh, but it's a very good uh, translation. Um, NIV, uh, and this one does have different editions. There's the 2011, uh, which is actually the most recent or something that was called the TNIV, today's NIV. Um, that is a pretty standard, um, you know, not going to offend anybody translation. Uh, my most recent favorite, this is the one I use on a daily basis, is the CEB, the Common English Bible. And that one is very readable. It's not overly stuffy. Um, translations in general tend to be very traditional. So they stick with the turns of phrase or language that um, Shakespeare or Tyndale or the King James version used hundreds and hundreds of years ago, even if that language is no longer particularly accurate or helpful. Um, probably the most egregious, uh, examples of this are in like Jesus's birth story. Uh, so, you know, we read old translations that say something like there is no more room at the N. Um, well, the word that's translated "n" is not an "n." It's a guest bedroom. It's the it's the spare room that a family would have, and so the whole you know everybody's favorite character at the children's Christmas nativity play of the grumpy innkeeper who says, "There's no more room here." A person never existed, um, and even though translators had known this for decades and decades of how they translate this word, it still oftentimes ends up in translations because uh, of tradition. Common English Bible is a very accurate translation scholarly, uh, but they're willing to forget, forego some of those uh, old traditions. 
Uh, and another one is the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Um, and this one also just had a pretty recent revision. Uh, and this one is as close as you're going to get to a word-for-word translation of uh, the Hebrew and Greek. They're going to do as little as possible uh, in terms of translating those uh, ancient metaphors or similes or whatever. Um, And it's very good if you're trying to do some, like, close language study uh, because they made some editorial decisions that say, you know, whenever you come across this ancient word, always translate it the same way, that sort of thing. Um, But... On the other hand, it's not the most fun to read because it's pretty stale. It's pretty wooden and very literal uh, and, you know, not the sort of thing that you'd want to necessarily read in public uh, because it's it's not the most reverent sounding of translations. Uh, ones to avoid. Uh, of the modern translations, I, I do my best to steer people away from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, reason being is that it's got a lot of patriarchy and sexism built into its translation. Uh, the translation committee was exclusively male and exclusively white. Um, it's got a lot of like Calvinism in its assumptions. And so how it translates Romans and issues around like election and salvation, um, they, it, it is just like nakedly, um, pro-Calvinism or predestination uh, and does not do a good job of hiding that. Um, The King James Version, the oldie but a goodie, the classic, um, you know, it's great for reading at a funeral or a wedding, um, but it is uh, based off of very dated scholarship. I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of years old (laughs) dated scholarship. Uh, It's pre-Dead Sea Scrolls. It's pre-many of the textual discoveries that have been made over the past four or five hundred years. And then in many places, it's just dead wrong in how it translates things. Um, But, you know, King James Bible, you can can do some fun uh, Google searches for times when it talks about unicorns and dragons and things like that, which is just fantastic. Uh, the other one is the living Bible. Um, the living Bible is an example of a paraphrase. So a paraphrase is not a work of translation. Uh, a paraphrase takes an already existing translation, meaning from Hebrew and Greek to English, and then further paraphrases the translation it came from. Uh, so the living Bible has a sweet story behind it about a, a, a father who was kind of tr- paraphrasing on the fly, I think the rever- the revised standard, the RSV for his children. Um, but it's it's just what a, a nice father was paraphrasing for his kids. Um, now, on the other hand, and I could have put this up above on the ones I use, the New Living Translation, the NLT, is a scholarly translation. It's definitely on the more informal side of things um, and is... Definitely, you know, has some stylistic choices that it makes. But I, this is not like if this is a brag, this is the nerdiest brag of all time. But I know people on the New Living Translation, like scholarship, like translation team, um, and like they're doing legit important work. Like it is is very good translation work. It just sometimes gets lumped in with the Living Bible, which was not. All right, let me pause there. Any questions or thoughts about? Bible translations or Tanetta, anything that you want to throw in um, in terms of translation work? No, I appreciate that. And I, I think that you summed up the ESV well. All of the churches that I came from, 
moved to the ESB. <laughs> so, so, like at some point in my like uh, career, not the, the particularly like the white evangelical conservative one. So I, I appreciate your clarity around that one. <laughs> yeah, on a daily basis, I use the NRSV. Um, that's kind of where I go. And I also do use the NLT when I'm comparing for sermon writing. When I'm just like comparing, um, you know, passages and things like that. Yeah. Anthony, can I ask, um, the, is it the message by Peterson? Eugene Peterson, yeah. Yeah. Um, knowing that his background was scholarly, at least during his career, where would you, oh, look, oh, never mind. <laughs> yep. Beat you to it. Yeah. So the message oftentimes gets called a paraphrase. It is not. So I'm a, I'm a message apologist and defender over here. Um, the message was a, what's known, and this got kind of cut off in my slide here, but it's known as a single author translation. Um, so Peterson, you know, he dug into the original languages and translated it word by word uh, to come up with the message. Now, you know, within a couple years, it was dated because he was using um, so-called modern vernacular that, you know, a, what does a 60-year-old small church pastor know about modern vernacular? There's that question. And then the thing about modern vernacular is that this he was writing it in the pre-internet age. Like, the English language has changed dramatically since I was born, um, and even since the 90s. Um, so there's all of that. But on the other hand, like I've got uh, on the wall next to me, uh, his translation of Matthew, I don't have the reference written there, but is it Matthew 11, Matthew 14, the all, are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life and you'll find rest. Beautiful translation work. Absolutely. Just gorgeous. Um, so people like to hate on the message and I, I, I like to hate on the people who hate on the message. There you go. <laughs> Um, there's a new translation that came out. I think this is just last year. Uh, the first nations version, which is an indigenous, indigenous translation of the new Testament. Uh, and I've got a, their, uh, version of John three sixteen here. So the great spirit loves this world of human beings so deeply. He gave us his son, the only son who fully represents him. All who trust in him and his way will not come to a bad end. but will have the life of the world to come that never fades, full of beauty and harmony. Creator did not send his son to decide against the people of this world, but to set them free from the worthless ways of the world. So, yeah, there are, there are kind of special project translations. First Nations version is an example of one. Um, there's a Hawaiian pigeon one, uh, which is app, but I, I used back when I was doing, um, an internship in Kauai. Um, there is, there was one that was published in the nineties, which was a, I think it was like a Philadelphia, like slang one. Like there are these sort of special projects and some of them are less scholarly. The others, the first nations one, uh, was a scholarly work. Um, but they're good in terms of kind of being shocked or surprised by scripture again. Uh, yeah, it, 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 they're worth reading or even finding versions online. Uh, and that gets into the whole topic of single author translations. Um, so in general, I recommend if you're going to look at a Bible translation or study Bible, uh, look for, you know, look for ones that don't have a person's name attached to it, like a single person's name. And yet I have a few exceptions to that. Like I've got one sitting on my desk right now, um, which is David Bentley Hart's The New Testament. And David Bentley Hart 
is a Orthodox Christian theologian and scholar, and uh, he's probably most famous in at least in evangelical circles uh, for being a, a universalist, a, a Christological universalist, uh, and he's got biblical textual reasons for that. Of you know, in Bentley Hart's thinking, the way that we translate. Uh, the Greek word aeinios, eternal, uh, has been misunderstood. Eternal does not mean an indefinite, endless amount of time. Um, so that has implications for how we translate things. Uh, Scott McKnight, New Testament scholar from, in Chicagoland, uh, he's got one coming out uh, this coming year. Uh, John Golden Gay is a Hebrew scholar. He's got an example of one called the First Testament. Uh, which is the Old Testament. So there are uh, Sarah Rudin has one called the Gospels. So there are are these scholarly single author translations, uh, which again they're not. Oh yeah, Robert Alter's um, Hebrew Bible, which is this massive three volume takes all takes up half of a shelf on my Bible bookshelf, um, and it's got trans- translation of the Hebrew plus commentary plus like Jewish resources. All that to say, there are exceptions to my don't trust single author translation rule. Um, you know, if it, yeah, you want these folks to have been vetted in some way they've got, they've got doctorates. Um, yeah. Anything to add to Netta? I'm good. All right. Before we leave the topic of translations, um, anything else, any other questions? All right, let's talk study Bibles. Uh, so, you know, one of the questions we've gotten is just like, okay, I want to understand, um, a verse or a book where do you start? And yeah, we know not everybody has the <laughs> desire or ability to go get a seminary degree or go buy a bookshelf full of books on stuff. So a study Bible is your friend because it can be a seminary in a book, um, just calling down some of the absolute best resources and ideas around how to read scripture well. Um, so Here's a list of some good ones. Uh, the Cultural Background Study Bible. This is both in the NIV and the NRSV. Uh, it just has verse-by-verse verse running commentary and all the sort of cultural backgrounds that you would want to know of um, why why did they sacrifice sheep and why does the temple look like that and what kind of, uh, when it refers to this pagan god, what do we need to know about that? Um, you know, it's got color pictures and illustrations and good maps and all those sorts of things that can make you make scripture feel more alive, um, give you a sense of, you know, time and history and presence. Um, another great one is the, again, CEB, which is my favorite right now, uh, common English Bible study Bible. Um, where is it? Oh, it's upstairs. Uh, it's again, it has excellent introductions to every biblical book. Um, it's going to give you a very brief survey of this is uh, what scholars think uh, the author might be, when it might have been written. Um, it's not overly conservative or it doesn't throw out every, um, you know, it doesn't say it was all just made up by somebody in the first century. Um, it, it's It's got a very balanced view. And then it's got a bunch of essays throughout and in the back, uh, which are worth the price of the study Bible by itself of, um, you know, how do we understand terms like inspiration or inerrancy or uh, the harmony of the Bible? 
Um, and yeah, Christina got the the background study Bible and likes it. So there you go. Um, the, the, these two kind of are a pair, the Africana study Bible, which is focused on the old Testament and, uh, true to our native land, which is study focused on the new Testament. Um, these are basically like commentaries of every biblical book, but in a single volume, uh, written with, um, you know, a black, um, both African-American and, um, indigenous African writers and scholars, uh, and, you know, looking at particular viewpoints, the true to our native land for the new Testament was really helpful for our Mark series, um, because it was, you know, coming at things from a perspective that I have not lived in. And, uh, yeah, again, just good introductions, to every single biblical book. Uh, it's not a, because it's single volume. It's not overwhelming. It's not like every single verse has like a chapter to it. It's just kind of doing it, um, paragraph of scripture, chapter of scripture by chapter. Um, two more would be the Oxford or Harper Collins annotated study Bibles. These are the ones that you can usually find in the Christian or religious section of Barnes and Noble. Um, they get assigned at like, uh, religious studies programs at non-Christian universities. Um, and they are not necessarily put together by a religious or like Christian faith committee of scholars, uh, but they're still very good scholarship. And so if you want um, a viewpoint or perspective on like, okay, what are folks who study ancient literature who don't necessarily have, um, you know, prior faith commitments? What are they saying about these books or these verses? What perspective are they bringing? Uh, that can be very helpful. And then the last uh, kind of couplet I want to offer is the Jewish study Bible, which focuses on the Hebrew Bible and the Jewish annotated New Testament. Uh, and those are put together by, you guessed it, Jewish scholars. Um, and the Jewish annotated New Testament is absolutely fascinating uh, because it is Jewish New Testament scholars who, you know, they they are not they are not claiming the Christian faith, uh, but they still can have insight on, okay, what is this ragtag group of uh, a, a Jewish splinter group called the the way or Christianity, what were they writing about and and what were they getting wrong about Judaism or say um, all those sorts of things. So those are all some great study Bibles. Um, and if you have a moment of like, oh dear God, I can't afford all that. We'll get to that uh, in just a second. Um, and my one avoid list is uh, study Bibles with someone's name or face on them. <laughs> um, so, and there's not a, I can't think of any exceptions to that. Uh, but yeah, if it's, if it's the MacArthur study Bible, if it's the, um, oh, I don't know. I think Osteen has one. Like there's just so many that are just attached to a name or a face. And I'm just like, mm, yeah, you're probably going to get led astray at one point or another with those. Tanetta, anything to add? Yeah. So you named kind of a couple of my top ones. I, my go-to is new interpreter study Bible. Um, because it is so accessible. Like it is just concise, accessible. Um, and then I would say after that, I always go to Oxford annotated and then the Jewish study Bible for Hebrew Bible. Those are kind of my three always surefire. What was the first one again? New interpreters. I don't know that one. What's their, what's their shtick? Uh, I, that's a great question. Okay. Um, it's that's like the, one of the earliest like things that I got in seminary. Um, they have a whole series of commentaries that are uh, edited by just scholars from all over the United States. 
Um, yeah, and they just I, sometimes I find like the Oxford can be a, like just a little bit sometimes more than maybe you know it's 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 level two, level three. I mm-hmm. find, and I find new interpreters to be just you don't need any knowledge at all to get a lot out of it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so this so is a commentary set. Okay, yeah, I've got one of those commentaries. Okay, and they just kind of like did a distillation of. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's often the case of a lot of study Bibles do take, you know, the work of all of these different scholars and they bring it, they pare it way, 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 way down. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, you know, in a study Bible, one particular scholar gets assigned the book of Acts and then they have a commentary on it. And then an editor, editor has the joy of bringing that commentary all down into the notes or margins of a study Bible. Cool. That is exactly the case for it. Yeah. Questions or comments there? All right. If you're wondering, I can't afford 18 study Bibles, Anthony. Why are you telling me all this? Uh, The best deal in an online resource for Bible study is Bible Gateway Plus, which is 40 bucks a year, like $3.99 a month, I think. Um, It is, it's for me, one of those like, oh, this is kind of too good to be true. And yeah, it's true. Um, I... Yeah, I recognize like, yeah, now all of us can go out and buy all this stuff. Um, And, you know, realistically, you shouldn't like you should. I would encourage you to go out and buy a physical study Bible um, and maybe another resource. And then you slowly build up a study library over time. You can't do it all at once. Uh, But Bible Gateway Plus um, does give a whole library of resources for a pretty low price per year. Uh, so I'm going to show just a few of my favorites because they're not, they're not every resource in it is great. Um, but some of them are really, really good. So Bible Gateway Plus has, whoops, I don't know what happened there, has the NIV, um, and NRSV cultural background study Bible. So you all can see like my browser, right? Okay. So here, for example, is like John three and they have this study tab over here, which has all of the resources that are part of the plus subscription and they've got a bunch of study Bibles. Now here's one, you know, with some names attached. Here's the Charles Stanley life principles, Bible notes, probably don't use that one. Um, but they have the NIV culture background study Bible. So you click on that and that brings up each verse of John three sixteen and gives you some of the background. Um, trying to find a good example. Yeah, it just gives notes for each each verse. Some of the notes are more uh, thorough than others, depending on what they need to talk about. So here's uh, John 3, 5, born of water and spirit. Some Jewish teachers allow that Gentiles could be reborn into Judaism through conversion, which included immersion in water. So you get you learn that baptism was not invented by Christians, that there was being practiced by at least some Jews. Some understand the Greek construction here as a uh, hindiadis, which is a two-idea or expression tied together. Um, hence, born of water, that is the spirit. In time of restoration, God would use water to purify his people. So you get the idea. You can use that resource um, built into um, Bible Gateway. They have something called the NIV Application Commentary, and that's a decent commentary series that um, is very big on, you know, application about making it as applicable as possible. So if you keep scrolling, 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 um, you will find commentaries and here's the NIV application commentary. 
And you click on that, and it brings up a whole article on John 3, 1 through 21 that you can read through. Um, and you can see you know, how, how long a commentary can be and how long it can go on uh, on just a few verses. Um, my favorite, my absolute favorite, is the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary of the New Testament. So if you were to go out and buy this, it's like a five-volume set uh, for the entire New Testament, and it's built into Bible Gateway. So if we keep on scrolling, uh, it's got 29 entries here based off of uh, John chapter 3. Uh, so you can look at the born of water and the spirit. Oh, I got lost. Hold on. Uh, and there's that similar note, converts to Judaism. Oh, my browser's freaking out. We're said to become as newborn children. Conversion included immersion in water to remove Gentile impurity. Um, they've got notes on every single verse here. Um, okay, we'll talk a little tiny bit about Greek. I don't want to scare anybody away, but if you want to get into original language stuff, um, it's got what's called an expository dictionary. And expository dictionary is basically... Um, not just giving you a definition of a Greek word, but giving a little bit of explanation behind it as well. And so this is under the dictionary section. And here's Mounts' complete expository dictionary. And this is every word, um, every English word that's used in John 3 uh, and the, in the Greek word behind it and the Hebrew word behind it. Uh, so in Hebrew, you've got the word olam, means ancient, eternal, forever, everlasting. Uh, and in the New Testament, you have Ionios, uh, which can mean eternity, blessings of salvation, everlasting con conditions, um, all of that. So then, you, yeah, you can do a little bit of uh, digging into original language stuff with the Mounts' Complete Expository Dictionary. Mounts, by the way, uh, yes, that's a, that's a real person's name. His name is Bill Mounts. He is the greatest living Greek scholar alive. The guy is absolutely nuts uh, in the amount of big stuff that he produces in terms of original language resources. Um, a couple other good resources. New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology. Right here. It's got 89 entries based off of John chapter 3. So again, basically whatever Greek word you can find in John 3, it's got an entry about it. Uh, so we can look up the theological entry for anthropos, human being, and it's going to give you a big long entry on the theology of being human. All right there. Uh, Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary. So another Bible dictionary which just you know spells out what words mean. And then I'll show you one more thing about uh, original languages. So Mounts, uh, also built in the Bible Gateway, is something called an interlinear. Interlinear means one line is the English translation, and the other line would be the Hebrew or the Greek translation. So in the New Testament, we can go up and switch our version to Mounts' reverse interlinear. And here we can see the English in, you know, re proper English reading order up top, and then the Greek underneath it. Um, and this is, you know, put in English letters, so it's readable. Uh, and this is called reverse interlinear because it follows the English order, not the original Greek order, because, you know, different languages have different orders for nouns and verbs and all of that. Uh, so we can click on man, 
And then over here, we can see just a very brief entry on the, the Greek word, what it means, where it's used in other places in scripture. Uh, and then we can also follow this out and see everywhere that anthropos uh, appears in the New Testament. Um, so that's a powerful tool if you wanted to look up, you know, do a word study on a particular thing. Uh, and you didn't want to just do it in English. You wanted to follow the original language as well. Uh, so that's all built into Bible Gateway. Plus, uh, for that $40 a month, <laughs> I don't have a referral link. I'm not trying to sell you anything. It's just a very good deal. Uh, if you want to get, you know, if you want to nerd out about scripture and have access to a lot of resources all at the same time, uh, it's, it's a pretty good way to do it. Uh, any any other questions about like online resources? Tanetta, do you have anything to throw in? Do you use any do you use any digital tools for study? Not really. I mostly I actually probably will get the Bible Gateway Plus now. So <laughs> thank you, you. I should have had a referral link. <laughs> in its version and look at a lot of different versions of things that are free, but I hadn't yeah. thought about the subscription. Yeah. I met, I picture you, Tanetta with like a ink and quill, just like copying it out from the from the stone tablets. So the problem, it's so interesting because I, I can't wait to hear how y'all are processing this. Because I think the other, there is part of me that always has to hold back a little bit because I love this stuff. And I feel like, so I always have to like pick really carefully. So that that is one of my encouragements as we talk through this too, is like, Think about, as Anthony is sharing, like where you kind of want to start in terms of adding your library. Because I think I often feel like so excited that I, I also realize like, oh, I could read 25 different things about this verse. And so have to like be thoughtful about how to sift through. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. All right. I've only got one more slide and then we can talk a little bit more. Um, and that's just a tool called a survey. So a survey is typically just a one volume book. Um, on a particular chunk of scripture, so an Old Testament survey or a New Testament survey. And surveys would be a step between the notes of a study Bible and you know getting commentaries for every single book of the Bible. Something in between there would be a good survey. Uh, and a survey is going to kind of blow out those notes to have a longer discussion about okay, who do we think wrote this biblical book? What is a, a good way of understanding its structure and its outline? Who was the audience um, to? What was their context? Um, what's the scholarly debate ar around? Is Job historical? Is it a play? Is it narrative? Is it fiction? Um, those sorts of things. So the two sort of uh, classics, at least from my my chunk of of. Christian scholarship uh, is Zondervan Surveys. Zondervan's a publisher. Uh, so Survey of the Old Testament by Drs. Hill and Walton, and then Survey of the New Testament by uh, Dr. Gundry. Those are going to be your pretty run-of-the-mill. Um, they're going to give a good overview of where scholarship is today um, and give great introductions for every, every biblical book. Um, one that comes at it from a uh, more progressive or um, decolonized perspective is Toward Decentering the New Testament by Mitzi J. Smith uh, and Young Soo Kim. Uh, Mitzi Smith, uh, she's a good Twitter follow, by the way. Uh, she is a um, black womanist uh, biblical scholar. And um, yeah, the way I, they approach, they just go through every single New Testament book and, you know, 
poke and prod and question appropriately about, um, you know, you know, scholarship has ignored these particular issues um, because, and this is just an unfortunate fact, a lot of biblical scholarship, the stuff that gets published anyway, uh, is by white men. And that's slowly starting to change in the academy, but it's still overwhelmingly white men. Um, and yeah, so Mitzi Smith does a great job and young suit Kim, I think he's more of an editorial role, but they do a great job of, um, of, you know, questioning things and raising good questions. So if I were to say, go spend your money on this, a great study Bible, any one of the ones I mentioned, um, a good survey that just gives good introductions and outlines to, uh, to the Bible, to each biblical book. Uh, and then if you got, you know, some money to spare or a particular project that you want to engage in, um, you know, Bible gateway plus you can't go wrong. You'll find lots and lots of, of tools there to help you dive deep into a particular, uh, question or verse or chapter that you want to get into. All right. I'm gonna stop talking for a bit. And Tanetta, do you want to, do you want to guide some questions? Well, I just want to uh, add to, um, yeah, yeah, yeah commentary resources that are just kind of like whole Bible. So the women's Bible commentary um, by it's Cheryl Ringy and um, Carol Newsom. And there's another woman, I believe too, that helped edit and, and work, work on it. Uh, but they're going to take essentially um, particular passages that involve women, relate to, to women um, and specifically exegete those passages. Um, so that is one just, in the toolkit, if that is, you know, if, if you particularly are thinking about women's issues. Um, and then I would also add the career Bible commentary, um, which is, I know Robert Goss was involved involved in it. Robert Goss um, has done a number of, of things in terms of queer theology. Um, and again, it's, yeah, kind of as Anthony was saying, you know, it, it's just a good reference. They're only going to deal with specific passages per book um, of the Bible, but it's, it's, a, it's something, it's, it's nice to have on your bookshelf uh, as a reference uh, and a different way of kind of thinking about scripture, different lens. Um, and then I would just say, if you really want uh, a, a, a couple of books that have some, some pretty good essays that will help you think about um, the Bible from a different perspectives to queer it a little bit. I would say um, there's a Bible called the People's Bible. Um, Will Gaffney was involved in that, who's a woman, a scholar. Uh, there, there's a number of people involved in that. But there is a companion to that called the People's uh, Companion to the Bible that just has amazing essays, but um, particularly from perspectives of black and brown people on various aspects of the Bible about interpretation and all, the, all those kinds of things. Um, and then the last one I would say, it's actually an older book. It's called Voices from the Margin. I've, I've used it in the study. Uh, it's called, and the subtitle is Interpreting the Bible from the Third World. So that also just has short essays that will help you think about particular issues um, from a global perspective. So, uh, you know, Elsa Tamez, who's a liberation theologian, she, a Latin American liberation theologian, she, uh, you know, she writes particularly from her perspective on things like James, like that's one of her specialties. So that's just a good, if you really want your mind blown and to think kind of globally, it's gonna, that book is gonna give you essays on particular topics that come up in scripture, um, but from around the world. 
it's one of these unfortunate realities that like I wish I could recommend like a publisher or commentary series or like even a Bible translation that already integrated this stuff or already centered those voices. And the state of scholarship right now is that these are all specialist issues um, where, you know, the straight white male perspective is seen as the default and the queer or marginalized or black or people of color or, um, oh, I don't have to go find a link, but there's some great ones um, from like the Latin world. Um, the, those are all seen as, you know, they, they get their own corner of the, of the, of the bookstore, uh, but, and they're not filed under biblical studies. And that's a shame because the, the, the white, straight white man, um, we we are a, we're specialized too. Like we, we we should not be the center or the or the majority, um, the default option. So I think slowly the tables are turning on that. Um, depending on what publisher or editor you're talking to, uh, where these quote unquote special interests are being integrated into um, general biblical scholarship. Um, and that's why, you know, if you were to ask me, okay, all of those things that I, that I just recommended, um, are, are there people of color on the, um, you know, leading the committee? Rarely. Are there queer people who are doing work of translation? Hardly ever. Um, that, and that does need to change. Yeah. So, um, this is a fun session because uh, we may not have said this at the beginning, but Anthony and I have never led anything together. So this was one that this was a session that I was like, okay, let's 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 see where this goes. Um, so I had some some thoughts that are a bit less technical, I would say, about reading the Bible. So I, I want to ask just a question, I think, to start us out, um, and that is just if you think about a time in your life where you feel like you had a good Bible reading practice, like you were in a rhythm, you were in a groove, you felt like you loved it and it was healthy. Let's, let's name that. Okay. You were growing in terms of healthy relationship with God. Like what were your tips and tricks? What were you doing when you think about that? And it's okay if you've not, not ever had that. I mean, that's the purpose of this class, but I'm, I'm curious kind of what our communal wisdom is. And if there have been moments where you're like, wow, I'm growing more in love with this thing, this Bible. Any thoughts? So when I was in the beginning of my college years, uh, now going on like nearly 15 years ago, um, I don't know if anybody's ever done this, but Bible roulette, the, you open it and you go the word of God. And you look down and you're like, and I'm supposed to kill 60 people. Nope. Okay. Uh, so my uh, junior year was probably my first. And like for a little bit of background to people who don't know, like my degree was in systematic theology. So very technical, not something most people get kind of a thing. Um, and uh, I actually stopped doing that because I realized it was probably really unhealthy and just not working. And I had stopped reading scripture on my own. Um, and so what I did was, I forget which book I probably mark because it was the shortest of the four gospels. And I just went from the beginning to the end, but I purposely went slowly. I said to myself, like, I'm only going to read at max, uh, like six verses a day. Like if the, if the chapter, like, and I would try to find like, okay, where does the next piece of this story end? 
like and just read just from so sometimes because a lot of times when they're splitting it up jesus ends up having like two or three stories kind of wrapped together uh into one chapter and so i would only read a portion of it and then just really like take time with it um and it would only be like 10 minutes a day or something like that but i started noticing things that like weren't even being brought up in classes where they're having me read this stuff um, because it's just getting missed by professors or getting missed by colleagues. And instead it was like, oh, if I actually like, I think I only used a uh, NASB version at the time or something like a student version or whatever. But for the first time, it felt like if I just relaxed a little bit, it was actually easier for me to get into a rhythm. So I hope that I'd helpful for others. Yeah, that's great. Anybody else? Have there been seasons where you felt like, wow, I, I, there are some tools, there are some tricks, there is a way that I'm reading and encountering this thing that is really feel, it really feels life-giving. So Ashley said in the chat, usually when following a devotional and pairing it with the sermon series. I found that the times that like I'm able to get most engaged with the Bible is like when I finally stopped doing all and I think that this really works for some people so this is not like to trash people's method if that's what they do but like using all the you version like bible plans which just had me all over the bible giving me like three verses at a time super out of context and then like led me just feeling kind of confused because all of these like individual verses would sometimes like contradict other individual verses that I'd read for other different Bible plans, depending on which one I was on at the moment. Um, and so when I finally like sat down and started reading like whole books of the Bible, like as part of a plan, sure. But like beginning to end of the book and like actually giving myself some context for it was when I think I first really started engaging with the Bible instead of like this weird like fortune cookie piecemeal kind of situation. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I have definitely done Bible reading plans that feel like whiplash when you're like in Leviticus reading about mold. And then the next thing you know, you're in Romans or something. You're like, this is a lot for one day to process. So <laughs> anybody else want to respond to that? Okay. I'll throw in. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I think that y'all are going to get to this, but I think the, um, when hearing us, when hearing y'all talk about all of the study Bibles and resources, I'm really curious as to a good way to set up a daily or whenever, um, like Bible practice, I guess, because I just keep imagining myself, you know, having a ton of study Bibles open on my desk and trying to like, read all of the like I just don't know how that's going to work um and like doing that every day so I'm uh excited to hear what you have to say about that yeah that's good yeah that's that's where I'm gonna go in just a second I'm gonna say like some super practical things that you probably already know but I just want to make sure to lift up but Anthony you were gonna say something I I was just gonna say this is something N.T. Wright said a long time ago of we need different kinds of Bible reading at different times. Uh, I think there are times where like Chris's like paragraph at a time is the exactly right. Um, and we, we'll talk about this next week in the c- contemplative uh, ways of reading scripture of reading it like almost painfully slowly and using it as 
using your imagination to put yourself in the story and paying attention to words and all of that. And like, that's great. I think sometimes, um, it's helpful for me to read, like sit down and just read the whole gospel of Mark in a sitting. It's not that long, you know, take half an hour or 45 minutes depending on your reading speed and just to get it in a chunk. Um, the gospels, uh, sometimes were often performed where you'd have three, four or five readers taking each different parts of dialogue or narrator, and you would just watch it be read in front of you or even played out in front of you. And so reading scripture like that, uh, can be really helpful. Um, and then, and this, you know, this is the, I think this is the exception. This is the thing that either, you know, you've been asked to prepare a sermon, you're a pastor, or you have a particular topic that you need to dive into. There are verses or chapters that you need to study. And that takes some time and effort and you, you treat it with the seriousness that it deserves. But to treat your entire devotional time like that, it, you, you'll burn yourself out. I, I've burnt myself out on that because I, I, uh, I fall like, you know, I'm a Bible nerd. I love this stuff. And so I'll fall into the trap of like my Bible devotion time. I'm going to read five commentaries and then I'll get into verse three of Genesis and just be like throwing it across the room because I'm sick of it. Um, so, you know, learning, paying attention to yourself of what is what is the right thing for this moment or what I'm trying. What am I trying to achieve? Uh, am I trying to achieve you know, a moment alone with God by trying to understand deep understanding of a particular issue, or am I just reading for understanding the the gist of a, of a larger chunk of scripture? Yeah. I mean, I think it's important in terms of daily Bible reading to remember, and this is hard for me, but that we're not reading for information acquisition, um, but that's about formation of the heart and ultimately embodying um, some principles and, 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 and hearing the spirit. And I think that hopefully also that, that, you know, influences the way we read. So, yeah. So my, the first thing I wanted to say, uh, and this echoes what Anthony just said, is just rhythm in terms of daily interaction with the Bible. Um, I think I grew up believing that there was kind of one way that you were supposed to be doing it. And I think I have found a lot of freedom in realizing there are just going to be lots of different seasons where different things will work. So, um, yeah, I studied history in undergrad as well as English. And my his, history uh, professor, my favorite history professor, would always say, ground yourself in narrative, like know the story. So, yeah, there's there are times to just read Matthew because you're, it's really difficult to understand what's happening in the whole book. That like Jesus is portrayed as the new Moses when you don't ever see the imagery accumulate. Right. When you never really get it all together. Um, it's much easier to see what's happening when you read some things in like a sitting or two sittings. Um, but then the opposite of that is to read really slowly, story by story. In some seasons, and this will get into next week, but that that is what you will need is to just slowly go line by line through something that you'll understand, like the Gospels, where, OK, Jesus is here. We're not talking about mold. Right. This is not a season for mold for me. This is a season for Jesus and maybe some things that feel a little straightforward, more straightforward to me that I can um, feel like I can apply more easily. And then I would say, yeah, there are definitely seasons to read with a commentary. Like right now I am loving I love Willie James Jennings Acts commentary. So I'm like reading kind of story by story. I read the, you know, just read the, the chapter in Acts and then I read his commentary. And that's what I do every day in my devotional time right now. 
Um, and that's kind of just the season. And I do think, and this is what was forbidden when I was growing up, that there are seasons to read a book about the Bible. Um, I know lots of people love Richard Rohr. Um, and so like he, you know, so they're kind of reading something adjacent to the Bible when they realize I'm burning out a little bit. I need to step back and read a little bit about these stories. Uh, and I think that there, there are definitely seasons for that in quiet times. And yeah, and just taking account in general with rhythm, the season of life, if you're in a season of grief, what is, how does that change your reading? Uh, if you, you are in a season where you're interested in coming on the preaching team, what does that look like for your devotional time? So I think all of that, it's a very personal process, like the everyday. Um, and then what seasons are there for like deeper study? Uh, and I will name with Anthony that I, I do think it's easy to get a little bit burned out. And when it becomes super intellectual to not do it. So when you have five commentaries open on Romans, it's just is head knowledge and you actually aren't embodying it because you can't embody all that at the same time. The second thing I would say after rhythm is like knowing yourself. So for me, a lot of my daily reading is I recognize I do want to have five commentaries out. I do want to look at every resource Anthony just named. I'm going to get the $40 subscription right after this. So actually knowing myself for me often means that I have to go the other direction and read more mystically, which does not come naturally to me. I would rather know all the history. So I think knowing what your tendency is in reading and making sure that from time to time you're actually doing something very different from that tendency. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, you know, I, I would say in some of the seasons that I was reading the Bible in the most interesting, creative ways, I, you know, was reading the Bible in small groups of friends, just informally. Like, um, my, my uh, uh, I won't say a lot about this because a lot of it is embarrassing, but when I first, in my early uh, kind of days of being a Christian, when I was in high school, there was a group of us that at lunch we would read the Bible together, again, a lot of stuff that I will never be named as in a vault about that time <laughs> in my life. But <laughs> like that, that kind of daily, like we're just talking about these scriptures. We're all different. We have different backgrounds. Um, you know, it's not a long time. It was just like 30 minutes or something. I think there are times in our lives that we need to take that communal, uh, the communal nature of reading this thing seriously and, and take it past Sunday. Uh, and that might happen to some of y'all on this call. Maybe, maybe some, you know, some of y'all want to get together once we're done with this and decide like, oh, we're in Exodus for the sermon series. Let's just slowly read through Exodus together as a group. Um, so I think that that's a, another thing uh, I would say. So I would just say in terms of when I think about this daily, I think about rhythm. What do I need in this season? Did I just read it quickly? Now do I need to read it slowly, et cetera? I think about knowing myself and what my tendency is. And then think, I think about making sure that every now and again, I am intentionally reading with friends and they don't have to be friends just like you it helps it helps if they're not but any thoughts about that does that um actually help at all any feedback about what's not working i'm curious from the group i'll just throw in um what i find helpful i get in general this is true of my prayer life and true of my bible reading life i get bored by doing the same thing day in and day out and what will typically happen is I'll get bored with the thing and then I'll stop doing it. And there'll, there'll be this chunk of time where I just like, I don't do anything. 
so what I found helpful instead is to have like a list, a rotation of five or six different practices that when one begins to get stale, um, I'll, instead of just dropping it and not knowing what to do, I'll rotate to the second one. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'm journaling through scripture, um, handwriting it is a helpful exercise. Well, you know, my hand starts getting crampy and I don't want to do it anymore. So I'll move on to the next practice, which is listening to scripture. Um, a good app is the dwell app on iOS. I think it's on Android too, of, of, you know, having, going for a walk and having it be read to me. And then once that seems stale, go down and, and, uh, start doing something that's more contemplative, like Lexio or um, imaginative prayer or whatever. And if that gets started stale, then I go into the more like a study mode. And I've got the study Bibles and the Bible commentaries. And so I just, I know myself that way. So I can rotate through those things. Um, and that's okay. I don't need to just stick with like, oh, it's miserable. It must be good for me. Like, I don't have to have that attitude. <laughs> Yeah, I would name one of the times I think that I felt most enlivened was last year before Easter. I started reading, uh, I was preparing a series on essentially like, how do we salvage this idea of salvation, but looking at it through multiple lens, like the gospel of grace versus the gospel of the kingdom of God versus the gospel of death and resurrection, which are all the same thing. They're not really verses. But I was really grounded in this one book um, by Marcus Borg, who I don't even theologically agree with everything he says, he says, but because it was so fresh, I found myself waking up just like, I really want to go read Mark. I just want to read a chunk of Mark, which is not always how I feel, but it was like this outside resource that just had a fresh perspective that really brought me back in that season to, to scripture. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to at least have a little bit of time that was just super daily how do we think about this i know for lots of us it is just hard to prioritize picking up the bible on a regular basis did did we finish early <laughs> could it be you told me you had an hour and a half worth of tools i was ready i said i might even be able to get a, a word in edgewise <laughs> i i think i've overwhelmed people enough <laughs> No, I, the last, the last, this will be the final word and then we can go of, you know, I want to understand this verse. What I would recommend is broaden your, broaden your expectations. Uh, If you want to understand a verse, then you're going to have to start with what genre am I reading? Then what book am I reading? Who's it written to? Who is it written by? Understand the audience and the context then understand the chapter, then understand the paragraph and the verse. Um, you know, that sort of Bible roulette thing, which I have done too, Chris. I did it to see if I should move out to Washington, D.C. or not. Um, since that wasn't that long ago. Act of desperation. Um, but yeah, that Bible roulette thing, I think many of us have been trained to see the Bible as, you know, 1,600 separate verses rather than um, the the large literary pieces that they are. And if we're throwing around verses to make a point for good or bad, um, then we are robbing ourselves of that broader understanding. So that's why I think some of these tools like a survey, like an introductory, uh, you know, chapter to a study Bible on a book. Um, those are the sorts of things that when we finally get to the problematic verse, we've got that broader understanding going on. 
Um, and we don't have to get so bogged down by like, okay, now I need to learn Greek so I can tear apart, you know, every conjunction and adverb and, and verb conjunction, uh, conjugation to make it make sense. No, like here's, here's the thing the, most of the, most of the scholarly like work that I did and all, most of the scholars who were in my life, um, <laughs> they were not necessarily, um, you know, LGBTQ affirming race conscious, um, thinking about deconstruction or decolonizing. But what they did was they taught me how to read the Bible. And that then led to new conclusions. And I think that's the invitation for all of us is if we are granted permission to not be indoctrinated, but to learn how to pick up and read ourselves, to quote Augustine, uh, then we may we may be giving ourselves permission to imagine a better and more beautiful theology and world. Yeah. And I just, um, as you were speaking, I realized that was, that was a beautiful ending, but I just wanted to give one. Um, I do think a great case in point of uh, kind of what Anthony started out just there saying about reading before scripture and after scripture is Genesis 19, which is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. Um, because like, if you, if, if, Folks read Genesis 18, which is all about the hospitality of Abram to the angels, um, then it would and directly contrasts a lot of what is happening in Genesis 19. Like those connections would be more easily made and it would be clear like this can't just be about this thing. This has something to do with the passage before it. And it's just such a good example of how like reading too narrowly without any cultural like sense um, can really be, be destructive. Again, if you literally, after this call, go read Genesis 18, you'll be like, oh, I see. There's <laughs> But because people took a, a, a one scripture and didn't read around it, you, you have what you, what you did. Okay, now, Anthony, you, you just go back and wrap up. I just had to give that. <laughs> no, it's just it's such a huge one that I had today. But No, that's really, really good. That's a great example. Now let's uh, let's cut these people loose and and <laughs> go enjoy some nice weather. Yeah. All right. Almighty God, thank you for being with us. I pray that something that I said and something that Tanetta said would be found uh, helpful and might bear fruit in the lives of our friends here in front of us. Uh, God, may we not lose sight of the goal, which is not, um, you know, memorization of some words on a page, but rather the transformation of our souls and our world towards beauty and justice. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Oh, Ashley in the chat says, I would love if we could have some space in the Slack for folks to share scripture they're working through so others can weigh in. That's a great idea. That's a really interesting idea, yeah. Mm -hmm. can, we, can I just ask one more thing, too? Um, I would say, since next week is our last class, if there's just anything that is burning, so next time is reading like a mystic, but just anything that is burning, please just reach out and shoot one of us an email. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to close the, the, the class with, the, with there being something that somebody really wanted to know that other people might have really wanted to know as well. So just email one of us. Yeah, cool. All right, y'all. All right. Bye, friends. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, y'all.